You're listening to Fair Game with your host, Robert Smith. Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Fair Game podcast. This is Fair Game number 290. Today's guest is a young fair manager who, quite frankly, has fairs in his DNA. He joins us today from West Fargo, North Dakota, where he's the fair manager of the Red River Valley Fair. Cody Cashman, welcome to the show, man. Hey, thanks for having me. So you've been around the industry a long time. You've got family uh, that I think you just said your mom was a, a lifetime member at Great Frederick. Your dad's the fair manager over at Maryland. Give us a quick rundown on uh, on the family history of fairs. Yeah, so it actually started, uh, well, I guess 60 years ago with my father, who was pretty much born into the into 4-H and FFA through his family at the Maryland State Fair and Baltimore County Fair, uh, which uh, obviously stems from my background as well. Um, my mom actually is only a life member out of just sheer randomness at the Frederick Fair uh, based on her great-grandfather, uh, my great-great-grandfather, who was one of the original founders of the Great Frederick Fair. Uh, and so actually, I am now currently a life member of that fair. There's 250 life members. So pretty cool about that. The other thing uh, that's kind of neat about our family is we're, we're all at one point in time, the four of us, my brother included, um, we're all board members of the Carroll County Fair. And uh, actually, actually, most people uh, in my family still are. I, I, I technically still am, I guess, um, but it's pretty hard to help a fair that's 1300 miles away now, right. but uh, I've been raised Carroll County, Maryland, and, and uh, been very involved in that fair my entire life. And, and since I was about seven or eight years old, I always knew that I wanted to run. Uh, actually, the Maryland State Fair is the one I wanted to run and ended up changing into uh, running any fair at this point. And, and I was pretty excited to get the opportunity here. Well, you know, you're still young. There's plenty of time ahead of you for, for the Maryland State Fair, but you are over in North Dakota now. How'd you end up jumping all the way over to North Dakota? Well, it was, uh, it was, it was a pretty easy decision, actually. Um, you know, our beliefs in the way that our family is, uh, we really love the fair business, as, as I said, but we're also pretty big in, you know, to the ag community. And we really love that part of it. And so uh, when this position was open, I jumped all over it. I wasn't really sure. I was 27 at the time. Didn't think that <laughs> a fair board was going to hire a 27 year old. And I knew some of the people that were applying for the job that were older than me that were in the fair business. And uh, to be honest, uh, very surprised, uh, got the opportunity to do it. And uh, when I was offered the job, I took it, grabbed it and uh, <laughs> packed our bags, moved to North Dakota, which was a big leap of faith. Well, tell us about your fair, Red River Valley Fair. When does it run? What's your attendance look like? Yep. So our, our typical attendance is uh, anywhere from 75 to 100,000, depending on the year. It's, it fluctuates. It's, it's a small fair, um, but it's one of the largest fairs in the state. It's the second largest fair in the state. So uh, our, our fair runs uh, typically in July. Uh, it used to be in, in June. This year it is uh, July 9th through the 18th. Um, and what's unique about that is this is the first year we're going to go to a 10-day fair. So um, we've always been a six-day fair here. And uh, we decided to make the jump to a 10-day fair this year with the help of our carnival. And uh, to me, it made a lot of sense. I, I never understood why a fair would start on a Tuesday and, and end on a Sunday. To me, it should just go ahead and take the uh, extra four days. So, Well, it makes sense. And, and with everything that's gone on with COVID, that extra weekend might actually be beneficial for you guys and, and give you a, a second bump in the same year. So I think that's a great idea. Um, 
when it comes to your fair, if a new family was to call you up and say, hey, we're new in, in West Fargo, we want to come out to the fair, what are the must-do experiences you would tell them they need to check out? You know, one thing that's awesome about this fair, and granted, I have yet to see a fair here, so it makes it really tough. But uh, I'll, I'll tell you what's awesome about this fair in particular. If they've been to any other fair, I would tell them that just all the buildings that we have here. Um, I think we have over 50 buildings. Uh, it's incredible wow. the size of our fair, and we have over, over 350 acres. It's, it's a huge fairgrounds. Um, but, but one thing in particular I would drive home, obviously, is the Ag Education Center. So we have a really awesome Ag Education Center. Um, our Farm Bureau is heavily involved with it. They sponsor it. Um, it's, it's really set up for 10 days and torn down. And it's really, really unique, I think, compared to a lot of the ones that are across the, you know, the nation that are permanent. Um, so to me, that's our, our pride and joy at this point. And uh, I love the way our food court is laid out. I think it's unique as well. It's all in one spot. Um, it's not spread out. There's, there's fairs that do that, but, but I really like that concept. It really works well. Um, we're kind of compact. So you really can see our entire fair easily in a day where you know, some of the fairs that I've been to across the nation, you need a whole week almost to see the whole thing properly. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, for sure. When I remember when I worked L.A. County with the Condor Fortune Machine in, uh, four or five years ago, and that fair is so monstrous. Uh, you know, RCS's carnival setup alone is so big, you could just spend a day on the carnival alone before you even get to the, the barns or you get to the expo halls or any of that. So, yeah, to me, if I'm if I'm coming out to the fair with my family, if I can hit it all in a day and feel like I really got good value for my money and I had a great time with my family, that's an event that I'm going to go back to year after year. Yep, absolutely. And, and for us, you know, one thing that was kind of unique, I would say it's not really unique, but here that I'm not used to is you pay one price and you get in and you get to uh, go to all the concerts. And that was how it used to be. Um, we're kind of doing a hybrid you know, method this year where we're going to have, you know, three or four nights like that. But the rest of the, you know, the rest of the week of the fair, the rest of the 10 days, um, we do have some larger acts. So we actually are going to have to, you know, require somebody to actually pay a hard ticket for that. But that ticket will also get them into the fair. So uh, we went up a little bit on that amount. Uh, typically, they pay 12 bucks to get into the fair. Now, for the most part, they're going to pay 25 bucks if they want to go and see one of our concerts. Well, good luck with that. Hopefully it works out well. Um, I'm curious. So what's, as you're newer, um, new to this fair, what's something you know now as a fair manager that would have been really helpful to know when you started out in the industry? <laughs> That's a great question. It is um, a good question. Give us a great know, answer, Cody. You know, I guess it's hard because there, there's certain things that I feel like I've always known uh, based on my father's experience and he, me and him have always talked about, you know, this board member did that or the board decided to do that. Those are usually your typically your hardest thing you have to deal with is answering to your board. Um, what's, what's awesome is I guess what wish I would have known um, was how awesome this board here is um, because uh, I, I came in ready to, you know, have to deal with the board day to day. Like I think we, a lot of us have to do in the industry. We're here. Um, the board members here have been fantastic. So I guess, any advice I would have for anybody, including myself, would be find a board, find a fair that the board lets you do your job, um, which to me is crucial. A lot of fairs that I've been to, the fair board members are there every day uh, telling other staff members what to do. And it's, it's very hard to do. Um, but Yep. I've seen even on the entertainment side, I've seen that. And it can become a real challenge for the fair manager 
Um, it be, it, it's almost become, almost becomes confrontational where you know, anything that goes wrong is going to roll downhill to the fair manager. But if a board doesn't let that fair manager really do their job, it, it becomes a, a real challenge. So it's really good to hear that you got a board like that. Um, let's, let's talk briefly. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but let's talk briefly about 2020. Um, did you all run in 2020 in any fashion or did you cancel? So we, we canceled our fair. The fair was uh, canceled. Yeah, fair was canceled, but we, we pivoted pretty good. Um, and, and I would like to say that, you know, that's one thing I'm really proud of, of not only myself, but our staff. So we decided that we were not just going to roll over. Our board uh, wanted to lay off the staff. And that was the only time I, and it was the, literally the first week I got here, um, was they were like, hey, look, you know, you just got here. We think we should lay off the staff. Here's what we're going to do. And uh, it was the first time I, my first encounter with the board, my first board meeting, and I, I, pretty much chewed the board out saying, you hired me to do a job, let me do it. And that was the last time I had to do that with them. Uh, we didn't lay anybody off um, for COVID reasons. We ended up doing Fair Food Thursdays. We ended up doing drive-in movies. And those were hugely successful for us. We did cancel the fair. And, and the reason we canceled the fair is not because we had to. The state sent us a letter asking us to, and I believe they sent one to the state fair as well. So uh, we decided as, as a board and, and staff that, you know, let's, let's go ahead and cancel. It seems to be the trend seems to be the right thing to do at the time. Um, we could have had it more than likely. We really, really wanted to do it. We could have done it. Um, the state that we're in right now actually has very little um, restrictions at all, if any. So we only had about one month here that we actually had to cancel or shut down things. We had the big, we had our, we had the big iron farm show, which is, I don't know if you're familiar with that or not, but the big iron farm show is one of the largest in the nation uh, for farm shows. And we actually had that in September of 2020. And uh, we wouldn't have had it. We, it would be a different story here financially. Um, right now, we're actually sitting very, very well. Um, in fact, we have more money now than we did uh, in a normal year. So we're actually sitting very good. Uh, financially, we're actually making some building improvements right now to uh, one of our largest buildings. It's an arena. It was a dirt floor. We're turning that into concrete now, and we're, we're trying to make it a, a year-round building. So um, I can't speak like everyone else has to. I, I feel I feel bad gloating a little bit, but we, we actually had an awesome year, and um, it, it's it stinks for everybody else. That was that's one thing that that made our lives a lot easier moving here was that everybody else seemed to be shut down, couldn't do anything. Where in this state, it, we didn't stop doing anything. In fact, I, me and my wife and kids have went home uh, several times already, driven home to see the family and back, and and it's just been a really good year for us. And it was the best move we ever did. We love it here. <laughs> so well, it's good. I don't think it's gloating. I think it's good to hear that there were some people that that made it through uh, in a in a really positive way. Um, not everybody did, but that's you know you can't own that. I we I we I know Sarah and I we struggled a little bit more. Obviously, having um, all but one of our contracts cancel was a real challenge. But we move forward and we, you know, my attitude is we can sit there and complain about it or we can adjust and figure out how, what we got to do to move forward. Um, and moving forward into 2021, um, I'm curious, you're planning for your fair for this summer. How do you go about planning for your summer fair when you're still kind of stuck in the middle of a pandemic? So, so for us, uh, and, and it's hard to say, because my whole, my whole staff has been vaccinated. Uh, we've been vaccinated for over a month. North Dakota is ahead of everybody. We're number one in the nation for vaccines, obviously because of the size of the state population, it's not too hard to do that. Um, we're not in a pandemic here, like everywhere else. Um, it's, it's, 
Um, it, it is, our numbers are, are non-existent almost. Uh, it's just different here. And it has been. Um, only November, December did, were we told, hey, wear a mask. And that's what's kind of awesome about this place. The governor went on and asked everybody to wear a mask. And uh, they did. <laughs> and then numbers dropped and he said, you can take them off. And they did. And it, it has actually been a, a really awesome thing here to see that that people are they listen, um, I guess. And, and the fact that they're that they actually care about the, their fellow person for us. Planning this fair has, has actually been uh, I'm going to say quite easy. We know we're having a fair. Um, there, there's no doubt in our minds unless something happens crazy where they tell us we can't. We are having a fair. Um, we're going forward with all of our events. We're having weddings. Um, we're having races. We have a we have a racetrack here that we do about uh, 12 uh, races a year every Friday from May 1st until September. Uh, we'll have anywhere from two to three thousand people. There's no cap limits. We're not requiring face masks. Um, essentially, uh, you know, you mentioned maybe that you were you know Clay County Fair is going to look very similar to that, if not yep. uh, not even less masks uh, when we had Big Iron in September. Um, my staff wore masks. That was it. Um, it's just different here. It's hard to explain because I, I actually moved here in May during the pandemic. And so we were shut down, locked down in March and April. And then I come here, sunshine, and then nobody's wearing a mask and because it wasn't in North Dakota. <laughs> so it was just very, uh, very a weird, weird feeling. So. Well, you know, you mentioned Clay County. We're down here right now at the in Green Coast Springs, Florida, at the Clay County Fair. Tasha Hyder has been posting daily on Facebook. They are getting record attendance. I got to tell anybody listening, I've never been, other than to like OC Fair, where I spend my summer, I've never been to a county fair where Monday and Tuesday afternoon feel like Friday afternoon and evening. It's so busy. These people want to come out. They want to support their fair. They, there's great community buy-in here. Um, and you know, people are out here having a good time. It's interesting though, being on the North side of Florida versus where I was a couple of weeks ago down on the South side of Florida, mask wearing down in South Florida, I would bet somewhere between 40 to 60% of people at the Okeechobee County fair were wearing masks. That is not the case at Clay County. I'm going to estimate maybe 10% of the people are wearing masks. But as I've felt like this the entire time, if you feel like you need to wear a mask, feel like you need to stay home or that what you do, whatever you got to do to take care of yourself and your family. And, and I don't, I don't begrudge it. I I'll wear a mask from time to time. I don't, if I'm in a super crowded group of people, I may throw a mask on, but when I'm walking outside, you know, like here at the hotel, I, the, I was asked, you know, in the public areas, you need to have a mask on. And I said, okay, no problem. And I'm literally, I go do my laundry and I see no other human being. It was just me, but I have to wear a mask. And I'm like, did I have a mask on? No, because I have common sense. There's right. no one around. Right. And, 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 you know, what we're going to be advertising everybody about the fair here is, look, you're, you're, you're welcome to wear a mask. When people ask, are you going to require it? The answer is no um, for us. So, you know, and, and we're lucky because we are in a state where we can do that. Um, I feel bad for a lot of my, you know, a lot of people in California and certain states that are really, I mean, Ohio State Fair just canceled. Um, you know, that's crazy. Uh, it's amazing that that's happening again, it's deja vu. Um, so, but, but this year with a lot more confidence, we can say we're having a fair. And, um, you know, we're really looking forward to having it. We know that, that we're taking a risk this year with, with expanding the dates. We know that, you know, we're taking a risk with uh, adding 
um, some bigger acts, something that we've never really done before, charging for an you know, actual hard ticket here. And there's certain things we're opening up, we're changing our liquor, the way we're doing our liquor and alcohol a little bit. We're, at, we're expanding on that a little bit. So um, not sure what 4-H is doing yet still. Uh, that's one thing that's really hard with fairs is, you know, all these fairs rely on 4-H so heavily to, to handle kind of their livestock program and, and actually see a future um, down the road where 4-H is going to be less and less involved with how the fairs run their livestock programs because things like this where we don't have a clue if 4-H is going to show up or not. Wow. wow. That kind of feels like that. I'm getting a little feedback on my mic on you there. Oh. We'll just let we'll it clear out a second. Can you hear me? Doing yeah. Man, it's just, Man, it's, it's just echoing back. I don't know why it's doing that. Whatever. <laughs> We're just going to move on. How loud is the volume on your computer? Uh, I can turn it down. It may be coming back through your mic. I don't know. That's a little better. Can you still hear me now? Yep, I hear you fine. Okay. All right, cool. Now it's not now it's not feeding back. We apologize for anybody listening. This is a Zoom world and we're just living in it. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned earlier you you were looking to you're doing a renovation on your arena because you want to be able to have concrete floor, be able to do more non-fair events in there. Um, tell me about this event you did, um, this, this bigger one you had, uh, what did you call it? Uh, it's a big iron farm show. Yeah. Big iron farm show. So what all is going on with that? What was your attendance like there? So our big iron farm show typically has 75,000 people attend. It's, it's a really large farm show for the area. It, uh, it's about 900 exhibitors, uh, uses probably about 200 acres here on our property. It's, it's very large. Um, some of your largest, well, the largest manufacturers here, John Deere case, all those folks, uh, we did have a lot of cancellations this year, obviously because of COVID and corporate companies not sending out their, their sales staff. However, their sales staff showed up in plain clothes with their cards in hand. So, um, very interesting year, but, um, the attendance was down, I'd say about 40%. Um, but where we're fortunate is we don't charge to come into Big Iron. Uh, we make all of our money off the vendors. The vendors were still happy with the people that were there because they were true buyers. Yeah. People who came there were the ones actually going to spend a million dollars on a couple of pieces of equipment with them. So um, it worked out great both ways. The only thing that kind of took a hit was our or the food vendors. Luckily, we pulled back half of our food vendors. So they actually ended up making out pretty well. So it actually ended up being one of our better successful events for, for you know, the history of it. It was our 40th year. That's so important. Um, those non-fair events. You know, I was surprised when I started the podcast um, in, in talking to Marla and a number of people early on in like those first 10 or 12 episodes to realize just how many fairs don't make the majority of their budget from the fair. Their majority of their budget is non-fair rentals. Right. So I was a director of business development at the York Fair, York Expo Center for six years. And I can assure you when I got there, uh, we were almost at a 50-50 point where 50% was from the Expo Center, 50% from the fair. By the time I left, it was almost 60 50. So it's starting to climb, you know, and, and, and they actually hired me here to specifically do year round events and, and grow that program. Cause it was almost non non-existent. So for, for us here, uh, that's a big thing. We're actually going to hire a new event person to do year round events for ourselves, not necessarily rentals, but for us to actually start doing more and more events. Um, like I mentioned before to you, we have 350 acres. We have 
almost 120 of it's just cornfields. So what we're going to do is <laughs> what we're going to do is corn mazes, pumpkin patches. We're going to go ahead and expand because not only can we make money with it, but it's agriculture. Um, and so it's perfect. So one thing that's different for me that's here, that, that's not here, that was back home and everywhere on the East Coast, as far as I'm concerned, there's a bunch of little farms that have an area where you can go pick a pumpkin or you can go to an orchard or you can go to a corn maze. There's nothing like that here. So I think we have a huge advantage here to try to start something like that. And that's what we're going to do. But, uh, but with the building that we're putting renovations together, it's about $800,000 project. We're putting concrete floor in, um, H HVAC and all that good stuff. So we'll actually be able to use it year round, which is huge for us. You should check out McCall's pumpkin patch outside of Albuquerque, New Mexico. They set up what I would describe almost as a miniature theme park. Where you go in, yeah, you can go do the little, you know, tractor ride out to where the pumpkin patch is and pick your pumpkins. But then they've got pig races and pumpkin. They've got a cannon that launches pumpkins. There's all sorts of cool activities that can go on. It's like a little miniature fair. Yeah, it's, and two weeks it, ago. See if you get any inspiration ago. from them. Well, yeah, two weeks ago, uh, we, we went back home to Maryland and actually went to the Strathburg uh, Railroad, and we, we took that with the kids and family for Easter, and um, we passed one just like that. It has exactly what you just said, like pumpkin guns and apple guns and stuff like that. You hit targets. I mean, stuff like that. Kids will love, go crazy over. It has nothing to do with fair. It's separate, but it still has that agricultural twist to it where you can have people out there in, outside in the farm environment and, and actually learn and have some a little bit of fun at the same time. It's really cool. We take every year... Uh obviously not last year because of COVID, but just about every year we take Nate out to McCall's and it's cool for him because it, they don't, it's not just the pumpkins aren't like harvested. They're still sitting out there in the field and you go out there and you grab the one you want. So it, it's always cool for us to see how Nate looks at this enormous field and there's just pumpkins everywhere, all different sizes. And, and he suddenly connects that wait he said to me once, there's probably three or four years ago, I think it was six or seven. He goes, so wait, dad, when we get a pumpkin at the store, is this where it came from? I said, yeah, a place just like this. And all of a sudden you could see the connection that wait, when we get eggs from the store, when we get a, you know, we get lettuce, when we get all apples, when, yeah, it comes from a farm just like this, it gets processed, put onto a truck and, and then into and distributed. Oh, all of a sudden he has a connection to where his food is. Oh, yeah. And and I got to tell you what, my wife being a teacher, but she's an assistant principal now, but when she was a teacher, when she would do certain units and she'd be like, where does bacon come from? And they're like, Walmart. Yep. <laughs> oh, it's, no, 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 no. <laughs> it's like, what animal does bacon come from? And the kids would look at her like, animal, what are you talking about? Yeah, it's sad. It is. It is. Yeah. And you know, it's funny, my, my son's four-year-old, he just turned four and he's eating chicken nuggets. And uh, I don't know how this happened, but we were talking about, you know, you're eating chicken and he knows what chicken is. And he looked at me, he's like, no, I'm not. I'm like, no, that's a chicken, buddy. You're eating a chicken. And everybody's like, well, you shouldn't tell your kids that yet. And I'm like, no, they need to know. I think you tell them at a young age, they'll understand and they'll be fine. I mean, that's- Why not? <laughs> right. <laughs> Education's great. You're going to like, I don't know. You're going to teach them to tie your shoe. You're not right. like, wait, wait, they're, they're not age appropriate for that yet. Just right. tell them right. it comes from a pig. How it is. There's no reason that we got to hide that. I don't know. There's, well, I think fairs do a really good job in, in getting information out. Um, but that's for the people that come out to the fair. 
you know, those people that don't get out there. Um, I think they, they kind of lose some aspect of that, that part of like where your food comes from is really important. We, we need to know it. We need to understand where that food comes from and how it's processed. And what's kind of unique here when I was in York, we, you know, I started the ag education center in York and uh, five years ago, I guess. And it was needed for sure. Needed. Uh, What's weird about here is everyone here is about one or two generations removed from the farm. That's it. Where in York, it was five or six generations away from the farm. So here it's a little different. Like, you know, you're, you're educating, but for the most part, most people that come to our fair have been on the farm at one point in time. So it's very sure. unique. It's really cool. Um, it's great that that's the case. And what I love about this place is everybody seems to care about the fair. And, and one quick example of that is uh, West Fargo, which is actually where we're right next to. We're technically county property. West Fargo, the city of West Fargo was trying to annex the fairgrounds four weeks ago. And for us, that's, that's not good. Okay. Uh, that would not be good at all. Uh, we went on a couple radio stations talking to folks about it. Enough people called in to the city commissioners and tell them to stop doing that, that they changed their mind and decided not. To Wait, hold up. Hold on. Hold on. Hold on. Are you telling me politicians actually listen to their oh, constituents? Yeah. They do. They do here. They do here. And I'm, and- I'm Sarah. If you listen to this episode, we are moving to North Dakota. <laughs> These folks do listen. It's amazing. They really do. And they actually care about the fair, which is important to me. Um, Cause we're, I've been to places that don't. <laughs> oh yeah. I've, I've seen plenty of places and you can tell, I can roll onto a fairgrounds uh, and pretty quickly tell exactly how much community buy-in they have, whether they've got support from their County commissioners and their, their local city managers and, um, the ones that have all that, so like you come out to Clay County, you can tell they've got buy-in, man. This community <laughs> is in for this fair. You can go to other fairs and you're like, you can't pay people to show up. And it's very sad. And, and as entertainers, we see so many different fairs, right? We see different, different ways fairs set up and, and create their show. And you look at some of these fairgrounds and there's so much potential, but you've got, you know, County commissioners or whoever that just, they don't care. They don't have the yep. buy-in for it and they just let it flounder. Yep. And, and more and more across the nation. I mean, you know, like I said, I've been driving back and forth a lot from here to Maryland just to go see family for different things. And we pass a ton of fairs on the way. And there's ones that you can tell that have that buy-in. What bothers me a lot uh, actually is the fact that some, some don't appreciate what the fair does for the community and, and the amount of money that it brings in. And, you know, some people, oh, well, the county gave them a hundred grand. A hundred grand is nothing to a fairgrounds. It is nothing to a fairgrounds. You could give a fair $20 million and, and that it, that's just one big building. I mean, you start thinking of the amount of money that could be dumped into a fairgrounds that, that is probably needed or should be in there. Um, and it's hard because then you're, you're asking taxpayers to pay for that. So it's, there's, it's a really tough balance, but you know, the more you can get your community to support your fair, the better off any fair is going to be. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. The, community buy-in for any type of event is, you know, it's ultimately at the heart of it. If you've got buy-in and the local community believes in the product you're producing, then you're going to do well. Yep. hundred percent. So listen, let's, uh, let's shift gears here real quick. Cause we're going to start wrapping this up, but I wanted to touch uh, on something here. Um, since the announcement's been made, I've been checking in with guests and see what they're thinking. IFE recently announced that after this year in San Antonio, next year for 2022, they're going to Indianapolis. A little bit closer to you, I think. Uh, what do you think about that move to Indy? So let me tell you, for the last 
I don't know, 10, 15 years I've been going to the IAB convention. Uh, and, and I've always loved it in Vegas. I've enjoyed it thoroughly. I miss Vegas. When they went to San Antonio, I was one of the biggest naysayers about San Antonio. I will be honest because my opinion is Vegas destination. San Antonio is a great place. Don't get me wrong, but it's really hard to get to where six. And I was chair of the membership committee for the IFE at those times and for three years. And uh, my opinion has always been go to where your fares are. 60% of the fares are on the East coast. I am ecstatic that they're going to Indiana. I'm ecstatic because they're the state of Maryland, the state of Pennsylvania, those associations are going to rent charter buses and they're going to drive. I will drive from North Dakota. I, I guarantee you, and think about all the states that surround Indiana that have how many fares. I think, I think uh, Pennsylvania has 109 fares. I think, yeah. um, you know, you start looking at these, these large states right around Indiana and Indiana itself has a ton of fares. Mo they're going to have a surge, in my opinion, of members actually coming to the event because it's convenient, easy. I'm not, maybe in the first year it won't be that way. I, I think it will, but I truly think it's the best move they've ever done. No, I agree. And I think what the surge is going to come from, um, it, you know, the, the big 10 days, like, Ohio State Fair is always there. You know, all these big fairs, they always yep. go, they got the they're going to go. But, <laughs> yeah. you know, when, I don't know, I, I'm just throwing out a number 60% of your small county fairs don't have the budget to send people to San Antonio or to Las Vegas, but Hey, we could send a couple of board members on, you know, they could you pile in a, in a van or whatever and drive over to Indianapolis four hours. Yep. That makes more sense. And I think they're going to see a major, uh, I think they'll see a major bump on some of those smaller fairs that are coming out. Yep. Um, I'm really hopeful yeah. that it, it I, is. It's crucial. It's crucial. Those board members go to those because, you know, for me, I, uh, I know this fair here in particular spends almost 50, 60 grand a year just in travel for these conventions, whether pick your convention that they go to, it's a ton of them. It's a lot of money. And if your board members have no idea what you're doing, they're going to look at that bottom line and go, why are you going to that? So the more times that you can get your board to go, even the small little fairs, take your board members. You know, I know there was a, a, a weird, I'm not going to say there was a push to get rid of board members at IFE convention. I'm not going to say that, but it felt that way for a little while. Hmm. Uh, say we, we, we kind of stopped at York uh, taking our board members and stuff. It just seemed like, okay, there wasn't a lot for them to do there. Um, I think the, the easier it is for you to get them there and spouses. Um, you know, I, I think it's important to take your spouses to the, the conventions as well, because, you know, to me, the IFE convention is totally different than any other convention you'll go to. It's, it's, I feel like it's a really family-driven thing, and obviously fairs are family-driven. So if you can get your spouses to go, you know, some family to go, your board members to go, those kinds of things, it, it's only going to help the convention. It's only going to help IFE as a whole grow. Um, I'm a, I love IFE. I've been gone to, for 15 years. I'm 28 years old. I've gone since I was a little boy, um, and, and I've always enjoyed it. Yeah, I'm I'm excited for a new city. I know they're going to rotate cities year each year, um, starting with Indianapolis. But I'm kind of with you. I think it makes more sense to keep it in areas where your fairs are located. So, you know, Indianapolis. I don't know if Louisville's on the list. I I did a, a an event, a trade show at the convention center there in Louisville. Um, what a, a cool city! Like that would be a cool one to be on the list. Um, you know, I don't know if they would move to maybe Virginia or even into, um, you know, somewhere in the South where there's a, where there's a ton of fairs. Um, Vegas yeah. to me felt was always a challenge because half the time, I maybe half the time, I felt like the people I needed to see were out, they were at a Cirque du Soleil show. 
yep. they, or gambling they, or something. Right. Right. <laughs> and it was very, it was a challenge. You, I mean, it was cool that you'd always, you'd always bump into people as you were walking around, but right. it, I like San Antonio much better than I liked Las Vegas. And I think I'm going to like Indianapolis maybe better than I like San Antonio. Um, this year, they just, Steve just put out the email to all the um, trade show people that for this year, the show has been cut to two days. So the trade show is only Monday and Tuesday, but with extended hours and says basically they want to be able to create an environment where we can do as associates, we can do one, one less hotel night and try to save a little bit of money which I'm all about because for the majority of the entertainers that are still in business, they haven't worked in over a year. Right. Oh yeah. So, I can't imagine. Yeah. It, it, there's just, it, it's it actually for, for anybody in this industry, you guys for sure got hit the hardest because even your carnival companies, I mean, I'll get shot saying this, but you know, for the most part, they were able to get PPP. They were able to do a lot of things. Some of these other um, people are probably not able to get as easy and, and, and a lot of their workers from overseas. So I'm not going to say they didn't get hit quite as hard, but you know, people like yourself and, you know, Kyle and some of those people you mentioned, you know, for sure, it's a lot harder for uh, the way, the way this was all kind of went down and, you know, the cancellations and stuff like that kind of happened sporadically and randomly. And you didn't know, Oh, we're going to have this fair or not. And yeah. you know, they're just waiting, you know, waiting to see. So it's, I totally get it. I know I'm, I'm very excited for the IFE. I, 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 I love it. I was sad. The convention was canceled. I understood. I was going to go. Um, uh, I'm going to go this year. We're going to go we'll send some staff might be, look a little different, but we'll be there. Yep. I, I will be there as well with, uh, with our, our stuff and, um, God, I'm just looking for it. I know how much fun it was to get back down here at Clay County. Cause there's, there's so many entertainers and a bunch of the other Florida fairs, um, come, they drive up the other fair managers come up and see it. Marlo was here yesterday for my IFE. Uh, it's just a fantastic environment to be in. I cannot wait to be back in the full convention and see everybody. It's yep. going to be amazing. Listen, I'm really glad I could get you to stop by uh, the show for, for a little bit and visit. Before we go, everyone who comes on my show goes through a little series of speed round questions. So I'm going to ask you six quick questions and you give me your best response. Are you ready? I'll try my best. Favorite fair food? Oreos. Last book you read? Lead Like Reagan. A uh, movie is made about your life. Which actor plays you? That's a really hard one. No idea. No answer on that one. <laughs> no answer on that one. No answer on that one. Peter Griffin. <laughs> there, you, Peter, there we go. If, I could see that. I could totally see it. If money was no issue, where's the first place you would travel after the pandemic ends? And I know technically it's over in North Dakota, but for uh, argument's sake. Firstly, I would, I would go to Venice with my wife. Venice. That sounds good. Go. Name a fair you haven't been to, but you would like to see. Minnesota State Fair, and I'm going. Excellent. And last question. Speaking of the trade show, on the last day of IFE's trade show, is your badge forward or backward? Forward, always. You all lie. All of you lie. <laughs> no, mine is. Here's the deal. It's going to sound very arrogant as hell, but for the most part, if you don't know who I am, you don't probably at the at that time you're either new, and I'm probably going to go check you out anyways. Yeah. Well, I mean, everybody knows Cody is. We all. That's true. That's true. <laughs> No, it's funny. The number of people that I've talked to and I've asked that question of fair managers and there's this moment where their their face on camera is like, they know, they know. The flip I, no, the back, I, to be honest with you, to be honest with you, I will not. And this is a, this is the truest thing I can say 
you know, and I meant this at the, the MAFES Association in Maryland. If, if I was going to book an act, they better be a member and they better be at the show, the show, the showcase, uh, you know, so that, that's how I feel about it. And I will forever be that way. Uh, if you're not at the IFE, if you're not at your, you know, your state, you know, I know it's not the easiest thing in the world. It's not the cheapest thing in the world, but for the most part, if you're not supporting the organizations that I'm in, why would I, why would I book you? Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. It always floors me the number of places, the state ones I go to, because, you know, for a lot of us, it's not just IFE in our home state. Like there's yeah. not a New Mexico Association Affairs. Right. So I go to Arizona. I go to Texas. I've been with Georgia, South Carolina, Georgia, Carolina. I've been with Florida. And it's like the number of places I go. And then I look at the fair and I'm like, half of the people they booked over half aren't even members of that association. And I'm just like, oh, yeah. and it's, and it's, it's my job. It's my job and and people in the fair industry's job to make sure, guys, you need to book this person because they do this, because they support the auction at the IFE or, you know, they spend a little bit of money and, and sponsoring this or that at the IFE or, or whatever. You know, it's the same reason you use either ETICS or Sapphire, you know, these companies. You could use the bigger ones if you want, but why would you when you've got these guys supporting the association you're involved with? Exactly. I mean, it's a no-brainer and it should be the way. Uh, people do their business, in my opinion. I agree. Cody, if folks want to reach out and get in contact with you, where can they contact you? Uh, just call my cell phone. 701-566-1018. Call anytime. He just put his cell phone, folks, out on the podcast, out for no publication. Problem. And right now I can see the look on his face. He's regretting it already. He's no. like, <laughs> Call anytime. <laughs> call anytime. Awesome. Cody Cashman, manager of the Red River Valley Fair in North Dakota. Thanks so much for being on the show today. I appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to the Fair Game Podcast. Fair Game is a production of Robert Smith Presents. For more information, please visit robertsmithpresents.com.